Hey, Unnaturalists. I'm Emily. I'm Andy. And welcome back to Unnatural, your favorite true crime podcast. I mean, I might be biased, but it's probably my favorite true crime podcast. It's definitely in my top five. It's up there. It's in my top three. It's in my top one. Same here. We're in agreement. Now, last week, you had accidentally, inadvertently, I should say, deleted your notes. I did. So you said you were going to completely go to a new case because you were so frustrated. Which I did. And the case that I told you about that I was going to do, I didn't end up doing. I went with a different one. (laughs) (laughs) Because I had all of these guesses. I know. And the one that I was going to do ended up being a lot more involved. But I did happen across something about a case that I've been wanting to do for a long time that just kind of got set to the wayside. So I decided to do that instead, which is what we're doing here today. We are traveling over to Chicagoland back in September 1982 when the city became perplexed after multiple people died under rather mysterious circumstances. But it wasn't until later when it was discovered the victims had all consumed Tylenol that a sinister plot was revealed leading to nationwide panic, copycat killers, and major changes to the pharmaceutical industry. This is the story of the Chicago Tylenol murders. March 9th, 1970, in Chicago, Illinois, to her parents, Gina and Dennis Kellerman. They lived in the northwest Chicago suburb of Elk Grove Village. And in 1982, Mary was attending eighth grade at Adams Junior High School in Schomburg. She was an active babysitter for her neighbors. She loved kids. She enjoyed horseback riding. But on September 28, 1982, Mary told her parents that she wasn't feeling well and she had a sore throat and a runny nose. So they gave her one extra strength Tylenol capsule to help her feel better. But a short time later, around 7 o'clock that morning, her parents found her on the bathroom floor unconscious. She was rushed to the hospital but was unfortunately pronounced dead shortly after. She was 12 years old. And initially, doctors thought that perhaps she may have died from a stroke, but once there was a little, like, that wouldn't have made sense, like, there wasn't really anything underlying in her her family's medical history. Um, I think it was just kind of like a a 12-year-old girl just, like, randomly dropped dead, like, what could it be? Um, Yeah. But there was an autopsy conducted, and the chief toxicologist, Michael Schaefer, discovered that she had, in fact, died of cyanide poisoning. But some miles away in Arlington Heights on September 29th, 27-year-old Adam Janice was coming down with a cold and called in sick 
to his job at the postal service to help him with his symptoms. He took two Tylenols after lunch, but minutes later he staggered into his kitchen and collapsed and died, leaving behind his wife and their two young children. After hearing the news of his older brother's untimely passing, Adam's younger brother Stanley and his wife Teresa were at the house to mourn but also help Adam's wife plan the funeral. Stanley had dealt with chronic back pain for a long time and he was dealing with that at that point in time so he took some Tylenol and for some reason his wife Teresa took some as well from the same bottle and not too long later the two collapsed and were rushed to the hospital but they died soon after. 31-year-old Mary McFarland was working at the Illinois Bell in Lombard when she started experiencing a headache. She went into the break room, took some Tylenol, walked back to her office, but to the horror of her co-workers, she collapsed on the floor and died before paramedics could even arrive. Mary was a single mom raising two sons at the time of her death, and she, did I mention she was just 31 when she died? Yeah. Then we have 27-year-old Mary Rayner. She had just welcomed her fourth child with her husband, Ed. And listen, I'm here to tell you, birth and babies is no easy feat. It comes with pain and discomfort afterwards. So she took some Tylenol to help with those postpartum aches and pains. But um, Mary did quickly pass away after taking the Tylenol. And then 35-year-old Paula Prince was a flight attendant who worked for uh, United Airlines. And on the day of her death, she was on a flight from Las Vegas to O'Hare in Chicago. She purchased a bottle of Tylenol from a Walgreens on her way home after work. And after her coworkers and family were unable to contact her, they went to her apartment and found her dead um, on the floor with an open bottle of Tylenol on the bathroom counter. Now, All seven of these deaths occurred within days of each other. All of them had consumed Tylenol, but none of them were linked to each other yet. But still, I'm guessing that there was a mass panic. Not yet. Okay. But once it started to get leaked out, I mean, I'm sure people were throwing Tylenol away in droves, I'm guessing. Yeah. Well, and we'll get to this later, but um, the Johnson and Johnson were actually like praised a lot for how they handled this whole thing. Um, Mm. And I guess like their PR strategies are used in like college coursework to this day because Mm. like they just did a great job um, helping like they didn't try to cover it up or anything. Yeah. Um, As we see so often. Yeah. But um, investigators were looking into the deaths of uh, the Janus family, as well as, you know, other different investigators were looking into the death of um, 12-year-old Mary Kellerman, a nurse by the name of Helen Jensen, um, who she was the only public health official at the time in the city, I guess, which is kind of crazy to think of, but... Yeah. She went to their home, found the Tylenol bottle and a receipt indicating that the bottle had been purchased the same day they died. There were six pills missing, and she turned the bottle over to um, law enforcement who felt like, you know, like, obviously they were like, okay, three people, same family die, like, pretty much in the same way. Something's going on here. 
and they also quickly realized that cyanide was the culprit or the medical examiner thought that and he asked the um, law enforcement officials to like smell inside the bottle and they reported um, smelling like an almond type scent which I guess like and I looked into this a little bit I guess in certain situations cyanide can have a type of odor that smells like that reminiscent of almonds yeah Hmm. So they tested the remaining capsules in the bottle and they discovered that some of them were filled with as much as 65 milligrams of cyanide. Um, And that's way more than the amount needed to kill the average person. Just I and so here's kind of like a funny side story. I was looking up just like facts about cyanide. Poisoning tried to like figure out just like how much it would take to kill a person. Yeah, because <laughs> I would have no idea. Yeah, well, and I Googled and now I'm probably definitely on an FBI watch list. So <laughs> hello to the FBI agents watching me now. I promise I had a reason to look that up. But uh, like, excuse first- me, ma'am. Why why were you Googling cyanide? It's a podcast. It's for a podcast, I swear. Well, and I'm a woman, so we all know that like a women killers. Oh yeah, use poison, or at least that's the uh, stereotype. Yeah, more often than not. But also, the first like handful of search results were um, suicide resources. Oh my god! <laughs> I promise, I promise, I'm not trying to kill myself. Um, by or anybody cyanide. else. Yeah, I'm just I'm researching for a podcast. It's. It's fine. Um, anyway, I found that if like the average 160 pound person consumes um, like half a gram of cyanide, there is a 90% fatality rate. And one tablespoon of potassium cyanide could kill 43 people in under five hours. Anyway, so long story short story, cyanide is very toxic in small quantities. And because all of these deaths occurred kind of in the same area, investigators noticed that the bottle belonging to the Janus family and the bottle belonging to the Kellerman family came from the same lot, MC2880. And um, they reported this to Johnson & Johnson, who immediately issued a recall for the Tylenol in that batch. But as things were kind of coming out and being put in, put together, they found that the uh, the bottles from Mary McFarland's bottle were traced back to lots 1910MD and MB2738. So the company- When you say issued, lots, that, that means where it was manufactured? Like when you say lots? Or is like that the like- the batch. The little, oh, okay. Like the little barcode thing on the back? Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah so the company issued another recall on- those and really pretty much anything in the Chicagoland area, which ended up being one of the biggest pharmaceutical recalls ever. I imagine. Yeah. And now that word is getting out and, um, you know, more deaths are being linked together. People are kind of panicking and several law enforcement agencies are involved at this point in time. And um, the pills that had been tampered with were discovered at a variety of stores in Chicagoland, including two Jewel Food grocery stores in Arlington Heights, one in Arlington Heights, the other in Elk Grove Village. 
There was one at the Osco Drugstore in Schaumburg, Walgreens, and Dominic's in the city of Chicago. And then there was also one found at Frank's Finer Foods in Winfield. Now, Linda Morgan, who was the wife of like a prominent judge at the time, also discovered she had a tainted bottle. But luckily, she and nobody else in her family took the pills inside because when she opened the bottle and she was going to take some, she noticed an odd smell and decided Mm. to maybe not. Um, Now, in the meantime, Johnson & Johnson sent out warnings to hospitals, distributors, um, and discontinued all production and advertising of the Tylenol brand. Instead, they used like their advertising dollars to actually warn people. The So it, it ended up being recalled nationwide. Um, and that nationwide recall was issued on October 5th of 1982. And it um, they estimated that around 31 million bottles were in circulation at that point wow. in time. Which this is just kind of like other fun facts. At that point in time, like that was valued at over a hundred million dollars, which in today's money is over three hundred and three million dollars. That ended up being pulled. The company, like I mentioned, the company advertised on national media, um, you know, letting people know, hey, don't consume these products, and they they had discovered that it seemed like only I think it was like the liquid gel capsules were the only Mm -hmm. ones that had been tampered with. So they offered to exchange these capsules, like for people who already had purchased some, um, they said they would exchange them for like the solid tablets. Mm -hmm. But even, even then, if that's me, I'm like, no, I'm good. I'm I'm good. You know what? Yeah. I'm going to get some Advil. I'm good. (laughs) I bet Advil sales went through the roof at at that point in time. Yeah, probably. So now, I mean, word is getting out all over the world. So customs agents at airports are also asking, you know, like when people from the U.S. are coming in to visit, they're like, hey, you got any Tylenol with you? Yeah. If you do, kindly place it in the trash bin. Mm -hmm. Thank you. So, yeah, like it was a huge thing, as it should have been. Um, And at this point, like the police, the FBI, the other agencies involved, like haven't found who was responsible for this and Tylenol was produced like all over the country so they're like what do we do but then they found out that the bottles that had the cyanide were packaged and produced in either Pennsylvania or Texas Hmm. but since these deaths primarily like really only occurred in the Chicago area they figured out pretty quickly that someone had taken the bottles off the shelf injected them with cyanide and then put them back wow. so like this person was in the Chicago area
it's so weird because you know we deal with people who are jealous ex-lovers or even serial killers stuff like that and obviously all of it is abhorrent and it's hard to understand why anybody would kill anyone but to knowingly you know inject cyanide in a medicine that helps people and you're never even going to meet the people that you kill is just another level of fucked up yeah because clearly like it wasn't targeted at one specific person because they're all over the area i feel like maybe it's somebody who was in the pharmaceutical industry or maybe the medical field or something i don't know see that's what i thought too perhaps we'll get but i'm sure we'll get to the yeah we'll get to that in addition to the bottles that claimed the lives of the seven victims, a handful of other bottles were discovered in the Chicago area, but luckily the owners of those bottles heard the news, didn't consume any of the medicine. And I think maybe um, investigators were just kind of like asking around and like canvassing being like, hey, did you buy Tylenol from this store on this right. date and time? And then that's how they found like several other bottles. Well, and thank um, God, like you said, Johnson and Johnson did the right thing and it was probably all over the news at Mm -hmm. that time and those were the days where everybody watched the same news and consumed the same news so everybody was getting that information yeah yeah not like these days where we all have different news and we believe different things (laughs) that's another story amen Anyhow, so in early 1983, FBI agents requested that the Chicago Tribune publish uh, the address and grave location of the first and youngest victim, Mary Kellerman, um, with her family's consent, of course. And FBI analyst at the time, Jock Douglas, theorized that perhaps the person who did this may visit the grave site. Hmm. Um, because as we know, you know, some killers like to get really involved in the investigations after their crimes or like go back to the crime scenes or even the graves of their victims. So with this in mind, Mary's grave was put under 24 hour surveillance for several months, hoping that the killer would visit, but he or she never did. Not a bad idea though. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, A surveillance photo of Paula Prince uh, purchasing the bottle of Tylenol at a Walgreens was also released because the Chicago uh, Police Department was seeking information about a bearded man that was seen like near her, I guess, throughout the store that day. So they thought that maybe he was the killer and just kind of like watching and waiting. I don't know. Um, Or at least a person of interest. Yeah. Yeah. That that one seemed like a little bit of. A stretch. a stretch to me yeah. but i mean when what else do they have to go on yeah this is what happens when you don't have a whole lot of leads you're kind of grasping at straws yeah and like with a city the size of chicago like how and even just like the suburbs there's millions of people there yeah third biggest city in the country like that's crazy that it would happen there yeah So there were, however, two very notable suspects that were identified. Um, The first was a man by the name of James William Lewis. 
he was a suspect. He was accused of sending a letter to Johnson and Johnson demanding $1 million to stop the cyanide murders. You dumbass. Yeah, he was arrested. Um, he told, and he told authorities how the person behind these attacks may have carried out the crime. Like they bought, he was like, well, they probably bought the Tylenol, added the cyanide, and then put them back like on the front on the shelves. Um, James was in possession of a book about poisoning, and his fingerprints were like on pages related to cyanide but he denied being responsible for the killings he did admit to writing the letter um he said that he had worked on it for three days and he heard what was going on and from what i was understanding his wife used to work for johnson and johnson Hmm. um so when he went to trial his attorneys said that james was quote intended only to focus the attention of the authorities on his wife's former employer like that was it hmm well what an idiot yeah what what, what was he thinking that oh i hey i'm gonna write this and they'll send me a million dollars like the hell dude i don't know i don't know why anybody like tries to blackmail especially large corporations like right no Ultimately, he was not convicted of the murders, but he was convicted of extortion and sentenced to 10 years in prison. As he should. Apparently, though, the letter um, that he wrote for three days was postmarked on October 1st, which meant that if he had been working on this for three days, it would have been before the news news broke. broke of the poisonings. Interesting. So, um, police also investigated a a man named Roger Arnold, who worked on the docks at a um, Jewel Osco store in Melrose Park. And he apparently told officers that he was in possession of potassium cyanide. He's like, yeah, I have some. But I didn't kill people with it. Is is that a big deal? It's fine. Well, because the owner of a bar that he frequented said that, like, while Roger was, you know, just like there shooting the shit, having some drinks, whatever, he would talk about killing people with white powder and other concerning topics. Um, But the bar owner said that he, quote, became more erratic after his marriage dissolved, end quote. So he's just, Mm -hmm. like, pissed off that his wife left him. But... Maybe don't go talking about killing people with white powder and then admit that you are in possession of potassium cyanide while people are dropping dead all over the city of cyanide poisoning. Yeah. Unless maybe you did it. Yeah. Another just kind of like coincidence, maybe. Roger worked with Mary Reiner's father at the warehouse, who was one of the victims. Really? Roger's wife, estranged wife, ex-wife had been treated at a hospital across the street from the store where Mary eventually purchased the bottle of poisoned Tylenol. Suspicious. Little sus. Little Mm -hmm. sus, I would say. Like, I think the fact that he worked at the same place as her dad is a coincidence. But like... The poison pills being across the street from where his wife that he really does not like. Right. 
especially in an area that big. Yeah. Two big ass coincidences. That's a really weird coincidence. When his home was searched, police found a book titled The Poor Man's James Bond, which included instructions on how to make potassium cyanide, which is probably how and why he was in possession of the potassium cyanide. Right. Um, Though he was questioned several times by police, he was never arrested or charged. But then in the summer of 1983, Roger mistook John Stanisha for Marty Sinclair, the owner of the bar that I mentioned, shot and killed him. And Roger was so what it sounds like is Roger was pissed at Marty, probably for like telling the police what he was talking about at the bar. Yeah. And like how he became a suspect. Confronted um, him. Yeah, but he killed the wrong person. Um, Roger was convicted of second degree murder and served 15 of his 30 year sentence. Later on in 1996, while Roger was still in prison, he said, quote, I killed a man, a perfectly innocent person. I had choices. I could have walked away. Yeah, you could have. Yeah. You could have, but you didn't. I can't believe he only got 15 years. He got 30, but he served 50. Still for killing someone. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. Uh, Roger ended up dying in June 2008. Um, so these two men are really the only like big notable suspects in the crime. And since neither of them were charged or convicted, the case went cold and stayed unsolved. Um, but because people are dumb and crazy and a little insane um several hundreds even copycat attacks involving tylenol and other over-the-counter medications took place like all over the united states Um, we always see that whenever there's something like this remember uh right after 9-11 the anthrax attacks and then there mm -hmm. was a bunch of copycats with that people are just nuts man the killer clowns of what was that 2011 yeah yeah that's another one like if there was a story about one of them and then they started popping up all over the place mm-hmm. some notable things that came out of the copycats so three more people died um in 1986 from tampered gelatin capsules um of any brand a woman died in yonkers yonkers new york after taking extra strength Tylenol capsules, um, Excedrin capsules in Washington State were tampered with, resulting in the deaths of Susan Snow and Bruce Nickel, all from cyanide poisoning. But this one led to the arrest and conviction of Bruce's wife, Stella. Hmm. So she done did that. I don't know. She got got. Yeah, I didn't look, t- I will admit fully, I didn't look too terribly deep into these. So I don't know if um, Bruce and Stella or Bruce and Susan were connected at all. Mm-hmm. But maybe, I don't know. Um, that same year, Proctor and Gamble's um, medication and Caprin was recalled after. Um, There were multiple tips sent in that uh, those were also going to be subject of attack, which 
those were withdrawn. Um, a lot of pain reliever was taken off the shelves during this time. And then even so far, like later in 1991 in Washington, Kathleen Daneker and Stanley McHorter were killed from um, taking cyanide-tainted boxes of Sudafed. Mm. Um, a woman, Jennifer Melling, also went into a coma from a similar poisoning, but she was able to recover. Um, there were also cases in Seattle. There were cases at, um, in Texas, Oregon, and Louisiana. So, like, similar copycat crimes. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a one that was heavily investigated in 1986. But that one was eventually ruled a suicide. Um, that one happened to a University of Texas student, Kenneth Ferris. And it was determined that he had gotten the cyanide from a lab that he worked at. Now, I don't know if I mentioned this, but you know, today, when you buy a bottle of any type of medication, vitamin, even a lot of like shampoos, conditioners, lotion, whatever, have some sort of seal. Yeah. That didn't exist in the 80s. You just opened the bottle. That's because of the Tylenol scare. Yes. So, um, yeah, after the Chicago one specifically, and then several of the copycats afterward, um, like the FDA and, uh, you know, similar product industries um, developed the tamper-resistant packaging also knew like laws after Stella Nichols was convicted of killing her husband, like uh, some of those became like actual laws. Like you have, like you have to have tamper resistant packaging on certain products. A lot of the, of these like manufacturers uh, moved away from the like liquid filled capsules too, mm -hmm. because I don't, as far as I read like, none of this was, like, it was all, like, the liquid capsules. It wasn't, like, the dry pills. Right. I assume that it was probably because it was easier, like, maybe, like you could just inject it in there. The cyanide in there, versus, yeah. Versus, like, I don't know if it's just, like, free pills where you just, like, sprinkle it in there and hope that, I don't know. It sticks? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, that is why we have tamper-resistant packaging. So, I guess you can say there is... As horrible as this was, you can say there is some good that ultimately came of it in terms yeah. of safety. Yeah, because as far as I know, like in recent decades, nothing like that has ever happened again. Yeah, I haven't heard of anything. Yeah. So like I mentioned, the case just went completely closed or unsolved, cold. Um. And then in January of 2009, authorities renewed the investigation. And by now, you know, like DNA is advancing. Mm -hmm. There's other scientific techniques and tests and whatnot that they could use, hoping that they um, would be able to find out who was responsible for the poisoning, like getting DNA off the bottles. I guess they were able to pull some DNA off of the bottles that wasn't attributed to um, any of the victims. But then I also have to wonder, like, is that for sure the killer or was it someone just like picking up the bottle and being like, oh, no, we have Tylenol at home. I'll put it back. Right. We don't know. Oh, yeah. How many times are you at the store and you 
pick up a bottle or pick up whatever and then put it back. That a happens lot. all the time. A lot. Yeah. After they opened up uh, the investigation, authorities revisited James Lewis, who he was confronted with the letter and the timeline. Um, and they were like, hey, look, were you really working on this for three days? Because if you were, that's before news broke. So how would you know? And he was like, nope, not that didn't happen. Um, he recanted his initial timeline. Um, but the Department of Justice um, wrote or said in some sort of document that was released in 2009 that they believe he is responsible for the poisonings, but they don't have enough evidence to charge him. Mm. Um, and then in January of 2010, both James and his wife submitted willingly submitted DNA and fingerprints um, so that they could be tested against the bottles. And James said, quote, if the FBI plays it fair, I have nothing to worry about, end quote. Um, and his DNA and fingerprints, as well as the DNA and fingerprints of his wife, didn't match any of the DNA recovered on the bottles. And he, to this day, well, I don't know if he's still alive, actually, but he um, maintained his innocence. Um, also in 2010, Roger's body was exhumed and his femur bone was removed for DNA testing, um, but his DNA did not match any of the samples from the bottle either. Um, after reopening the case, law enforcement officials did receive a number of tips related to the case, and this kind of all happened around like the 25th anniversary. And um, in a statement, the FBI said, quote, this review was prompted in part by the recent 25th anniversary of this crime and the resulting publicity. Further, further, given in many recent advances in forensic technology, it was only natural to take a second look at the case and recover any additional evidence, end quote. Um, now, today, as of this recording, it has been more than 40 years since all of this took place, and um, no killer has ever been caught. No other major suspects identified or investigated, as far as I know. I did briefly mention the Unabomber theory, and you seemed so excited about it that you had to go and look it up. So why don't you tell us about it, Andy? Okay, so <laughs> I am excited just because I even told you last week I did a deep dive recently on Ted Kaczynski because he just died, and I wanted to familiarize myself with the whole Unabomber case. And I know a lot of what he did was kind of around the Chicagoland area. And this article from the New York Times says the FBI is examining whether Ted Kaczynski, aka the Unabomber, was responsible for lacing several bottles of Tylenol with cyanide in 1982 bringing together two of the highest profile domestic crimes of the late 20th century. And this was written back in 2011. It said, uh, Kaczynski, who is serving a life sentence at the federal supermax prison in Colorado, recently filed court papers disclosing that the FBI's Chicago office was looking into whether he could be linked to the unsolved killings of seven people who swallowed the poisoned medicine. I don't think anything ever came of this, but he would definitely, definitely be somebody who would do this. And mm -hmm. he was up to, that, up to his shenanigans right around this time. Yeah. So, so the dots would kind of connect there. 
Yeah. So, like, his first four crimes happened in Chicago and the suburbs between 1978 and 1980. And then his parents um, lived in the suburbs in Lombard in 1982 and he stayed there yeah occasionally so that's like all right in the same area um yeah so that was back in like 2011 that the fbi requested like the dna samples from him or whatever in connection but yeah they as far as i read um they weren't really able to like for sure for sure connect anything um i gotta pull up this reddit page that i had of because i accidentally clicked away from it that was around the time that the unabomber had kind of gone quiet for a few years too so maybe he wasn't quiet maybe he was doing these cyanide poisonings who the hell knows yeah, I mean, like, there's, um, I went and, um, like, was looking on Reddit to see what other people thought as in terms of theories. Um, a lot of people talk about Ted Kaczynski. A lot of people think that it was James Lewis who sent the letter. Yeah. I think it's just, it's so, it's so weird that to me that, like, he would send that letter, like, for what like let's assume like let's assume that he was actually working on it for three days that like his initial statement was true that's a hell of a coincidence to do that before yeah the case broke in the media was he just one of those weirdos who because like we know that people make false confessions all the time but i mean he seemed like a pretty together and like with it person he didn't really like from what i read about him he didn't really like strike me as the type to falsely confess to a crime and he has maintained his innocence but like he did admit to writing the letter so it's like i mean if he did do it why would he admit admit to writing the letter and not like doing the things right I don't know. Um, But there's a lot of people who also think that it was um, someone who worked for Johnson & Johnson that was, like, disgruntled for some reason. So, you know, they Maybe they got fired or something. Yeah. And um, other people think that um, maybe it was some other type of serial killer. Because, I mean, Chicago, there were serial killers for sure. And they were just yeah. kind of like testing. The waters. Testing the waters. Yeah. Just like doing something. Yeah. Um, Which, I mean, you don't, you don't know. You really no. don't. Because there, there's, it's just, it's just like a completely random attack. Someone just, someone, maybe it was multiple people. Who knows? Yeah. Um, but like someone just like went to all of these stores, grabbed a couple bottles of Tylenol, injected them with cyanide, and then put them back on the shelf. They didn't know who was going to come by and pick those up. Right. Well, that's that's what makes it all the more disturbing. You know, mm-hmm. you don't even know who you're killing and you don't care. You're yeah, just, you just want to kill someone for the sake of... Killing it and then seeing it in the media, probably getting off on that. That's why I hope, I guess I hope it was Ted Kaczynski in a certain sense, because he did get apprehended. 
I mean, he was never charged with the crimes of this, but at least he was caught, you know? I don't know. I hope it's, yeah. Who, but who knows? Maybe the killer is still out there. And maybe it's none yeah, of the people we I discussed. I'm not, I'm not sold on Ted Kaczynski because he never, he never really did anything with poison, though. Yeah. I can't remember. I feel like there was something that he... I can't remember. Again, this just begs us to do a deep dive on him at some point. But I, it's, it's all the more frightening if the person was never caught. Mm-hmm. Because when well, this is forty years ago, I mean, they could still be out there. Yeah. Well, if anybody has any theories or wants to weigh in on who they think did this, they can always head on over to our socials. Yes, come hang out with us on Instagram at Unnatural the Podcast. We have a Facebook page, Unnatural the True Crime Podcast. You can also send us a Gmail to unnaturalthepodcast at gmail.com. Um, also, be sure that you rate, subscribe, and follow and share us with your friends because we love it when you share. Sharing is caring, so let your friends know we exist. Yeah, give us one of those five-star reviews, too. Yeah. On that note, make your choices. And don't get got. Bye! No other major suspects identified or investigated, as far as I know. Oh, my God. So... I googled Tylenol poisonings theories just a moment ago, right? Mm-hmm. And, okay, this is coming from the New York Times. It came out 12 years ago. And there's a theory apparently floating around that the guy we briefly talked about last week who just died, Ted Kaczynski, the Unabomber, the Federal Bureau well, you're of... you're stealing my thunder because I also have oh, this written down in my notes. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I just got so excited because I'm like, holy shit, we just talked about him last week and he just died. I'm sorry. I thought I was like the first person to discover you, this. You thought you'd done did something. <laughs> I was so proud of myself. Okay, go ahead. And one tablespoon of potassium cyanide could kill 43 people in under five hours. Wow. That's reminiscent of uh, when we covered the Jonestown Massacre, how much cyanide they put in all of the Kool-Aid. Flavor-Aid. Flavor-Aid, Andrew. Flavor-Aid, that's right. Remember, I called it Kool-Aid, and some guy came after me for that. Gave Mm -hmm. us a one star for that. (laughs) That was like one of our first Apple Podcast reviews, too. (laughs) <laughs> oh, good times! I still don't get drink the flavorade. I still want to yeah. get it was flavorade in like all capital letters <laughs> put on a, put on a t shirt. Um, maybe maybe we'll come out with some merch soon, and that'll be one of them. My mom does not listen to the podcast. <laughs> My mom's listened to a few. 
but she she's like, I like it, but do you have to be so vulgar? Yes. We yes, do. mom. Sorry, mom. <laughs> Sorry, mom. when this is 40 years ago I mean they could still be out there yeah oh, but they're not in the same thing anymore because we have a tamper proof packaging so mm-hmm. suck on that fucker <laughs> <laughs> oh suck on that fucker maybe that'll be our new catchphrase probably not 